Welcome to the Veritas Mizzou podcast. Veritas is the college ministry of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. Our greatest hope is to see more and more college students believe that Jesus is more. To get connected, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you're encouraged by this message. Well, hey, everybody. Good to see you all. So, uh, so glad to be back. Hope you guys had a great break. I see a lot of new faces, which is always exciting uh, for us. If you don't know me, my name's Kyle. I'm one of the uh, Veritas co-directors. Uh, tonight, this semester, marks my 13th year on staff, which is a little crazy to me. Uh, time flies, as they say. Speaking of time, uh, many, 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 many years ago, back on my 20th birthday, uh, I had the opportunity to go skydiving. Now, maybe you've been skydiving, that's great, uh, but, but I did the real skydiving, right? Not the kind of fake skydiving where, where you know, you're strapped to a professional and you know, they kind of do all the work for you and you're just kind of along for the ride. No, I did the real deal. I jumped out of the airplane myself uh, completely solo. I didn't actually jump. I, I, I more or less stepped out of the plane. Um, actually, the company that we used... Uh, They had a slightly different process, so here's how it went. Um, I was in this tiny little plane. It was a little Cessna. uh, No doors on the plane, which I thought was weird until I realized I'm jumping out, so it doesn't really matter. Um, But there was a a platform just outside, so when I'm standing at, you know, kind of standing at the doorway, looking down thousands of feet, there's like a little itty-bitty platform that I'm supposed to stand on. When I say little, I'm talking like, you know, one square foot, Right? So first step is to put one foot on that platform, right? That's, that's kind of like breaking the ice. You're, you're getting your body outside of the plane. You're getting ready to go. Next step is, uh, because it was a smaller plane, um, there was a diagonal uh, support from the side of the airplane to the underside of the wing. So second step, I've got my foot out. Second step is to kind of grab that bar, right? Uh, step three is to take second foot, and like I'm on my tippy toes, like out of the plane completely at this point, holding on to this bar. Fourth step is to kind of, you know, drag, let your feet just drag off, which is terrifying, but at this point, I'm, just think of me as like Superman flying through the air, except not really as cool as Superman, right? And then step five, you let go, and I blacked out. I have no idea what happened. I have no idea how long I fell. It was crazy. It was awesome. My chute opened. I will never do it again, nor will my kids. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, I, yeah, I, I, it's, it's, I remember that day like, like it was yesterday, but, but the thing that I remember most the thing that I remember most, as clear as all of that stuff was for me, the thing that I remember most is actually something that, that happened before any of that happened. It was something that our, our jump instructor said to us. Uh, we, so, so in order to jump solo, you've got to take a class. I had to take a five-hour class. I had to pass a test. I had to get the green light, which, you know, as I think back, taking a five-hour class and passing a test should not qualify someone to jump out of an airplane uh, but I digress. So, so we sit down in this small room. It's like eight, ten of us um, jumping that day. And, and we sit down in the room, and, and the jump instructor, uh, first thing he says, he says, hey, um, I just want to say up front, uh, some of you, maybe all of you at this point, have heard that skydiving is dangerous, 
right? That, that things happen and, and when things happen or if they happen, um, um, you'll get really hurt. And so maybe you shouldn't go skydiving. He said, I wanna say to you something very serious. He got laser focused. He said, I wanna say something really serious. He goes, that is completely false. It's a lie. He said, if something goes wrong today, you're not going to get hurt, you're going to die. And then he handed us like the liability waiver, right? And said, who wants to go skydiving? I kid you not. That's exactly what he said to us. He said, if something goes wrong, you will die today. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm ready, let's go. No, but, but why do I tell that story? Why did that flight instructor start that class that way? Was it to, was it to manipulate us? Was it to kind of bully us, scare us, you know, get us really afraid? Well, well, maybe, but I don't think that was it, right? I think that jump instructor, I think what he wanted to do is he wanted to warn us. He wanted us to know what we were getting ourselves into. He, he wanted us, he wanted us to be prepared for what was ahead. And as maybe a strange transition, I want to say that the Bible does the same thing sometimes. And rather than, than thinking that, that when the Bible is doing that, that it's trying to manipulate us, I, I want us to understand that sometimes God warns us because he wants us to know what we're getting ourselves into when it comes to following him. He wants us to be prepared for what's ahead. And that's exactly what I think that we will see uh, from our passage tonight. I'm excited. We're kicking off a new semester with a new sermon series. We're calling it Hey Siri. If you were around last semester, you know that, that we asked you guys to submit any question you wanted, any question about Jesus, any question about Christianity. Nothing was off limits, no stupid questions. Ask whatever you wanted. In all, nearly 100 questions came in, and then we kind of made them all sound about the same. You know, we cut the ones that were too similar, but, but then we let you vote. Right? And, and several hundred votes came through. And then of those several hundred votes, we took the top eight. And so that's what we're going to do. For the next eight weeks, we're going to try to answer those questions. What does the Bible have to say about these questions? Questions that range from, from politics and how do we vote in an election year as Christians to science and, and looking for God's signs and, and trying to figure out what God's plan is for our lives. How do we know that? How do we know how to do that? We'll wrestle with whether we can have sex outside of marriage and still be close to God. We'll, we'll wrestle with, with what makes Christianity more true than other religions. We'll ask questions like, how do we know when the Bible is, is meant to be taken literally, and how do we know when it's not supposed to be so literal? He said, all those are fantastic questions. I hope that you're excited. I'm really excited. But tonight, tonight though, our question is this. It's this, is being a lukewarm Christian okay? Is being a lukewarm Christian okay, or does my whole life have to be about Jesus? Now, I'll be honest, I love this question. Literally, out of all the questions that were asked, it's my favorite, um, because to me, there's no pretense about it. It's honest, it's genuine, it's real. It gets straight to the heart, I think, of what it means to follow Jesus, it gets straight to the heart of what it means to follow Jesus. And to be honest, that is the most important question that any of us will ever ask and any of us will ever answer. I love it. And it's also a question that I think in some form we all have, right? Some of you, you're, you're in your last semester of college. It's crazy, but you're graduating in May. And soon enough, you'll be in a new city, a new place, maybe with a new job, hopefully, probably making new friends, 
And maybe if you haven't already started, you're, 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 you soon will. You're going to start asking yourself, you're going to start wondering, what does it look like to be a Christian after college? What does it mean to follow Jesus after college? Can I be lukewarm? Or do I have to be sold out for God? I mean, I know what I was involved with in college. I know the things that I did. But do I really have to do all that after college? Do I have to be all in or can I just be lukewarm? Maybe you've been a Christian for a while now, and if you're honest with yourself, some of that passion, some of that excitement, it's starting to wear off. The the passion, the excitement that that maybe you've kind of first had or or once had for Jesus, it's not quite there anymore, and and you're wondering to yourself, is that okay? Maybe this whole Jesus thing, he's relatively new for you, but, but, but you're asking yourself, what does it actually mean to be a Christian? What am I even getting myself into with respect to Jesus? Some of you in a room this size, I I know, wouldn't consider yourselves Christians at all, but but you're interested in listening. You're interested in learning, asking questions. What's Jesus all about? What does Jesus want from me? See, I don't know where you're at, but wherever you're at, I think most of us, actually I think all of us are asking that question in one way or another. Is it okay to be lukewarm? Or does my whole life have to be about Jesus? What does Jesus really want of me? What does Jesus really want? Well, tonight, uh, to help us with that question, I want to turn to the book of Revelation. I thought it'd be fun to start off with some light apocalyptic literature. Uh, Just kidding. Uh, We're not getting into the weird stuff. We are getting into Revelation, uh, just not the weird stuff. If if you're unfamiliar with Revelation, uh, it's the last book of the New Testament, And there's a lot to know about the book of Revelation, but for tonight, all you really need to know up front is is that Revelation, it it, kind of begins with with seven letters. Seven letters. A a guy named John wrote them, but but the words that John writes actually come from Jesus himself. And these seven letters, they're written to and they're written for seven different churches in a a geographical area around 90-ish A.D., And one of those churches is in a city called Laodicea. That's the letter that we're reading tonight, the letter to the Laodiceans. And so look, chapter three of Revelation, picking up in verse 14, this is what Jesus says to this church. He says, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either one or the other. And so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Okay, pause. That's not exactly the feel-good image that we have of Jesus, is it? Jesus is saying to this church, catch this, Jesus is saying to this church, he's saying, you're not cold, you're not hot, you're somewhere in the middle, you're lukewarm, and guess what? Because of that, Jesus says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Some translations actually go a little more crude. They say, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. In other words, Jesus is saying to this church, you're lukewarm and I hate the taste. Now, that's intense, right? That's kind of an intense way to start. And I realize, I'm going to say up front, I realize that, that for some of you in the room tonight, this is exactly, verses like that, Things said like that are exactly why you want nothing to do with Jesus. You're here tonight because you're being nice to a friend that invited you, and that's great, but if you're really honest with yourself, you don't really want anything to do with Jesus. You want little to do with him because your understanding of Jesus is that Jesus is a guy that's always angry. 
He's a God that's always angry. And in particular, he's always angry because you're not good enough. And so why, why follow a God like that? Why would I follow a God like that? Jesus is always angry for me not being good enough. I get that. I, I, to be honest, I think that's a fair question. I really do. But what if that understanding, let me ask a question to that question. What if that understanding of Jesus misses who Jesus actually is? And what if that, that understanding of Jesus misses who he actually thinks that we are? See, if that's you tonight, you're here, you're not quite sure what you think about Jesus, that's great, I'm glad you're here. Maybe you think you know who Jesus is and what he's about, and that's not a good thing. I'm glad you're here. But I hope that you'll come back. I hope that you won't tune me out. I hope that, that you'll keep coming. I hope that you'll grab a staff member, a leader. We'd love to talk. And I think, I think that if you keep coming back, I think if you stick around, what you'll see over time, over time, is that Veritas, this community, this group of people is a group of people that will help you encounter the real Jesus, not some caricature of him. And let me say this too, that encountering the real Jesus will change your life forever. There are a lot of people in this room that would say that. I would say that. That's been my experience. Jesus has profoundly changed my life forever. All of that said, we've got to deal with a massive elephant in the room, right? What's up with Jesus vomiting people out of his mouth? What's up with that? Why is he spitting people out of his mouth? People that are lukewarm. Some have said that, that maybe you've heard this, that, that what Jesus is frustrated with here is, is that these, the, the people in this church, at least some of them, have lost their passion. They've lost their excitement. They've lost their, their spiritual fervor, if you will, for Jesus. And certainly that might be part of it. But, but if it's all of it, then why does he say, go back to verse 15, why does, he, why does Jesus say to them, you know, I actually wish that you were either hot or cold. See, if, if these words are, are, if being hot or cold is, is kind of a reference to our spiritual temperature or, or this church's spiritual temperature or individuals in that church, their spiritual temperature, why is being cold better than being lukewarm? That doesn't really make sense, does it? See, I think Jesus is actually doing something a little bit different. But to understand that, we need to know some geography, the geography around Laodicea. And I know, I know, I know, you, this is exactly why you came to Veritas tonight. You wanted to hear about the geography around Laodicea. Stick with me. It's interesting, I think, at least for me. Anyway, Laodicea, it's a city. It's situated in a valley, 10 miles east. Picture it. 10 miles east is a city called Colossae. Maybe you've heard of Colossae. Colossae, amongst many things, was known for its, its pure cold, life-giving drinking water. You see, in the area, there were these snow-capped mountains. And so what would happen is, is, is the snow would melt and it would make its way to the city and, and provide this city, the city of Colossae, with this cold water, this, this thirst-quenching, pure drinking water. Now, to the north of Laodicea was a city called Hierapolis. Hierapolis was known for something completely different. It was known for its, its thermal hot springs, and in particular, these hot springs were known for, they were famed, people would come from all over to come to them because of their medicinal effect, their, their healing powers. Think like, you know, long day and you jump in a hot tub, how, how relaxing that is for your body. People are coming from all over for these hot springs. 
So to the east of Laodicea is a city known for its cold, thirst-quenching, pure drinking water. And to the north are these, these thermal hot springs that are, that are healing and medicinal. What about Laodicea? Laodicea actually was known for its lukewarm and often contaminated drinking water. See, what was interesting about Laodicea is that they didn't have their own water supply, and so, so their drinking water, it had to be piped in from about five miles away through these clay pipes and this aqueduct system. And by the time that the drinking water actually hit the city, it was, it was, it was often lukewarm, it was contaminated, the clay pipe, the, the minerals, things would get into it along the way. And so all that to say, what Jesus is doing here is not using an arbitrary metaphor that that just kind of talks about their spiritual state. No, he's using words, hot, cold, lukewarm, words that meant something real, meant something tangible to this church. And Jesus is using these words very specifically, very pointedly, because the Laodiceans had a problem. They had a problem. What was it? Back in verse 15, Jesus says, I know your deeds. I know how you're living your life. And guess what? It's just like you're drinking water. It's disgusting. It's lukewarm. And I hate the taste. Now, I want us to catch this because I think this is shocking. At least it is for me. Who's Jesus talking to? Jesus is talking to church people. He's talking to people that claim to follow him, not outsiders, not people that don't know him. Jesus is talking to church people. He's talking to a church. He's talking to people that are, that are supposed, they know that they're supposed to be hot and cold water for other people. He's talking to people that know that they're supposed to give life to others. People that, that are supposed to bring healing to the people around them. People who know that their lives should be about promoting the flourishing, the well-being of their city. Why? Because of their faith in Jesus. See, following Jesus means living differently. It means living differently, but apparently that's not how they were living at all. Moving on, verse 17, first half, part A. Jesus says this. He says to this church, you say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, and I don't need a thing. Again, there's more to what Jesus is saying here. Back 30 years prior to when this was written, uh, AD 60, there's a huge earthquake. Devastates much of Laodicea and the surrounding area. Why does that matter? Why do we care? Well, apparently, Laodicea was so wealthy, it was so wealthy that it was able to recover without any help, any aid from the government. So, so natural disaster, no FEMA. Natural disaster, no National Guard. Natural disaster, and Laodicea famously rebuilds themselves with their own resources themselves. And Jesus knows that. Because Jesus knows all of history. And Jesus knows their pride. Jesus knows their self-dependence. Jesus says to them, you're rich. You've acquired wealth. You say that you don't need a thing. You see, their sense of self-sufficiency, what did it do? It made them complacent with respect to Jesus. And so now their lives are just going through the motions. They're not giving life. They're not bringing healing, relief to the people around them. No, Jesus is their works, their deeds, their motivations, all of it. It's lukewarm. How they're living. How they're representing Jesus to the city. Their culture. It's lukewarm. And Jesus hates the taste. See, Jesus is essentially saying to this church, to church people, If you claim to follow me, your life should look different. If you claim to follow me, 
your life should look different. Bob Goff, uh, if you know him, great. If you don't, we'll talk a little bit about him later. Uh, he shares a story. I think it's a great story. I love the story, so I'm going to share it with you. Uh, in his second book, Everybody Always, um, it's a story. He uh, was speaking at a church down in Austin, Texas. Um, actually, the story is mostly about what happens. He, he speaks a- after the fact. He speaks at a few services and then, and then leaves. Um, he tells a story like this. He says, after those services, what do I do? I, I, I hop into my, my rental car and I speed off to catch my flight. He had something going on that night uh, with his family. He wanted to catch his flight and make it home. Um, but he was running a little bit late. You know, he had talked to some people after church, got hung up in conversations. It was going to be close, but, but he knew that, that he still had time. And so he drives. He gets to the rental car place picks the line, you know, there's several lines to drop the car off, chooses the line that he thinks, you know, based on looking, I guess, around, this is it, this is it, this is the fastest line, except we all know where this is going. It wasn't, right? It, it, he just sits there forever and ever and ever. He says he doesn't move an inch. He waits and he waits and he waits. He starts losing patience. He's, he's talking, you know, he's, he's frustratingly sticking his head out the window, trying to, like, figure out what's going on. He's getting frustrated. He's mad. And he sees this, this poor little rental car guy that looks like his first day on the job, just trying to do his job, but he's doing terribly, right? People are honking. People are yelling. You know, golf, he, he says, you know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, kind of doing a drum roll on my steering wheel. I'm, I'm kind of banging on the dashboard. I'm moving my foot around on the brake. I'm, he's, he's like, I'm yelling, come on at this point. Like, he's, he's visibly and physically upset. And he can't wait to let this guy have it. Because as he's waiting in line for minute after minute after minute after minute, he misses his flight. So long that he, he, he misses his flight, and so he can't, he says he can't wait to let this guy have it. And he finally gets to the front of the line, rolls his window down, and, and the guy is so oblivious, has no idea what he's done, has no idea that he's held the line up so long, he he's, has no idea that most likely a lot of the people in line have missed their flight. He says, hey, sir, how is your rental experience today? And Goffey tells the story, he's like, dude, I was ready to go crazy on this kid, Right? But something changed. Something changed in that moment. And, and, and he says, you know, I don't know what it was. Probably the spirit, God, doing something. But, but I didn't scream. I didn't tell that guy how terrible he was at his job. I didn't say anything about missing my flight. Instead, he says to the guy, you know what? He goes, I had a great time. This car's awesome. You're awesome. Airplanes are awesome. Life's awesome. I hope you have a great day clearly a better man than me. Then he gets out of his car and he starts walking to the terminal. He's got to rebook his flight to get home. So as he gets halfway through the parking lot and, and he hears someone kind of like yelling after him, like, and, and so he turns and it's, it's that guy. He's just like literally running after him and Bob's like, well, this dude's crazy, but what's he gonna do? Catches up to him and uh, he, he, you know, he's out of breath because he's running, trying to you know, stop him and, and catches catch up to Bob. Bob waited and, and, and the guy catches his breath, and he looks at him, and he says, hey, hey, I didn't say this back there, but I just want to let you know that sermon that you gave this morning at church, it was amazing. It was so good for me. Thank you so much for what you said. Goff says his gut just sinks, right? Just sank. You were there, he thought to himself. Now, what I want us to do, imagine if Goff, or put yourself in that situation, if, if he would have done what he wanted to do initially, what he had planned to do, to let that guy have it. What sort of image of Jesus would, would he given that guy working there that day? What sort of image of, of people who claim to follow Jesus would he have given that guy had he just went crazy on the guy? 
See, here's the point of God's story, and, and frankly, here's, here's what the Laodicean problem has to do with us. People will figure out what we really believe by seeing how we actually live. People will figure out what we really believe by seeing what we actually do. How we live, how we treat people, the decisions we make, what we say. See, let me say this. Bob Goff's not the hero of that story. Jesus is. Jesus is. Because when we actually follow Jesus, Jesus changes us. He changes our lives, how we live. See, I think a lot of times we have this wrong idea of what it means to follow Jesus. We think that, that being a Christian is about believing in Jesus so that someday we can go to heaven. What's really interesting is Jesus actually never says that in the Gospels. Jesus never says, hey, believe in me just so you can go to heaven. No, time and time and time and time again. What does Jesus say to people? What does he say to us? Two words, follow me. Follow me. He invites them to follow him. See, being a Christian means following Jesus, not just with our heads, our beliefs, but with our hearts, our affections, our emotions, with our hands, how we live, what we do, our entire lives. That's what it means to follow Jesus. It means being his disciple, his apprentice, his, his representative in the world, being a part of bringing love and justice and mercy to our cities, to our communities. It means bringing life to the people around us, bringing healing to those that need it, being hot and cold water everywhere we go. What, your life, what does your life say about what you believe? What does how you live your life say about what you believe? See, the Laodiceans, they, they said, we're rich. We've acquired wealth. We don't need a thing. Right? They were indifferent to them, or they were, they were interested in themselves and indifferent to Jesus, and they became lukewarm. But here's their problem, their self-assessment, it couldn't have been further from the truth. You think you're rich, you've acquired wealth, you don't need a thing, Jesus says, but in fact, 17b, in fact, you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Not rich, poor, not wealthy, Wretched and pitiful, not without need, blind and naked. Now remember, Jesus is talking to church people. People thought that they people that thought they had it all together. But they missed it, didn't they? They had a wrong view of themselves and what it meant to follow Jesus. And Jesus said that it was contaminating their representation of him to the people around them. Now, why was that? Why was it such a contamination? Why was that such a big deal? I think there are lots of things that we can say, but perhaps the simplest is that, that their lives, well, they were just centered on themselves. See, when life is all about me, there's not much room for Jesus, is there? When life is all about me, there's not much room for Jesus. Read a story the other day about a guy named Kevin Ball. Actually, he, he prefers to go by his excellency, Kevin Ball. Uh, he is the founder and leader of the Republic of Malaysia. Never heard of it? I hadn't either. It's because this, this so-called country, it consists of Ball's three-story 
a three-bedroom house in a 1.3-acre yard just outside of Dayton, Nevada. Not kidding. Small, yes, but important nonetheless. You see, Malasha has a space program, which, as it turns out, is a model rocket. It has a national sport, which is broomball. It has a navy, which is an inflatable boat. And a currency, get this, a currency that rises and falls depending on the price of chocolate chip cookie dough at the local grocery store. Not kidding. Here's a photo of him right there. See, Ba is considered a, <laughs> he's, he's considered a micro-nationalist. Maybe you've read or heard about micro-nations. You should Google it because it's pretty interesting. But essentially, they're, they're a group of, of do-it-yourself nation builders who, who raise flags over their property, over their house, and, and they declare, as, as this guy says, that this is the kingdom of me. I mean, literally, that's what he said. This is my kingdom, the kingdom of me. Now, now may, I, I, honestly, I don't know. Maybe this is a joke. Maybe it's serious. I don't know. But regardless, regardless, I think Kevin Ball is doing something that every single one of us wants to do. He's doing something that we all want to do. We want to build the kingdom of me. We all want to build and live in the kingdom of me. Maybe we don't say that. Maybe it's not that explicit. But think about it for a second. Think about that for a second. Why do we spend so much time curating an image of ourselves? Why do we spend so much time jockeying for for social position amongst our relational circles? Why do we spend so much time, why are we so concerned with creating our personal brand, whatever that even means? Why are we so focused on making our personal happiness our number one goal? Why are we so focused on doing what's most convenient for us, what's most comfortable for us, not for other people? See, why does Jesus often get pushed out in our lives? Why why do our lives, another way of saying it, why do our lives often easily become lukewarm? Well, I think because we're living for our own kingdom instead of his. We're living for our own kingdom instead of Jesus's. And so the question for all of us is, which kingdom are we living for? Which kingdom do we want to live for? You see, the Laodiceans, they thought they were all good. They thought that they didn't need a thing, but Jesus says that they're wretched, pitiful, blind, naked. They're lukewarm, and if something doesn't change, Jesus warns them he's going to spit them out of his mouth. And it's hard. I get it. It's hard. But that's the same warning that he's giving to us. We might think that we're good. We might think that we don't need a thing. We might think that we can rebuild ourselves, but Jesus says we can't. We can't. You can try, you can try, you can try, but it's not gonna work. You might think it's working, but it's not. We can't rebuild ourselves. We all need Jesus. Jesus, the one who on the cross became pitiful himself. He was mocked, he suffered, he died a death that he didn't deserve, he rose from the grave so that that you and I could share in his glory. Jesus is the one who became poor so that you and I could become rich in him. Jesus is the one who himself became naked so that you and I could be clothed, clothed from the shame of our sin. See, why does Jesus warn the Laodicean church? Why is he warning us? Look at verse 19 and 20. Toward the end of this letter to this church, Jesus says, hey, I want you to know, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, 
I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. See, Jesus is letting them know. He's saying to them, I'm warning you because I love you. Jesus is warning us because he loves us and he wants us to repent. That just means that Jesus wants us to to turn away from our sin, turn away from self-dependence, turn away from complacency with respect to him, turn away from the kingdom of me instead of turn to the kingdom of Jesus. See, Jesus says he's standing at the door. He's knocking at the door. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'm going to come in and eat and you'll eat with me. See, Jesus is standing at the door of your life and he's knocking. He wants to come in. Now, don't forget this. Jesus is talking to church people, right? It's, it's tempting to think that he's talking to the outside, people out there. No, he's talking to us. Of course, it's an invitation to everyone, but, but he's talking to people that know him, and he's, he's inviting them to specifically renew their relationship with him. Because after all, that's what he wants with all of us, right? He wants a relationship. But guess what? It doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop with just our relationship with Jesus because Jesus wants those of us in relationship with him to go out, to give life, to bring healing, to promote flourishing, to be hot and cold water to others so that they too can experience the one who will quench their thirst, the one who will bring healing, the one who will bring life forever with him. So the second half of our question tonight, why does Jesus want our whole lives to be about him? Because he wants us to realize that it's not about us. He wants us to realize that our lives are not about us. See, following Jesus means your life should be about him. Pick up your cross and follow him, Jesus says. Lose your life for my sake and you will find it, Jesus says. He doesn't want just some of your life. He doesn't just want your Sunday. He doesn't just want your Tuesday. He doesn't just want your small group or your Bible study. No, Jesus wants your weekends. He wants your group projects. He wants your jobs. He wants your family. He wants your relationships. He wants your campus involvement. Jesus wants everything. He wants it all. But what do you want? What do you want? Harder question, what does your life say you want? See, people will figure out what we believe. People will figure out what it is that we really want by seeing, by looking at what we actually do, how we live. There's a guy in the New Testament named John, John the Baptist, you probably heard of him. He was a religious leader of sorts, a uh, large following. He did awesome things for God, right? And there's a scene, I, I love it, um, someone reminded me of it the other day, in the Gospel of John, different John, uh, where, where John the Baptist is talking to a group of people, and, and this group of people, they're upset, right? They're upset because um, they're big followers of John, and, and this guy, Jesus, has burst onto the scene, and it seems to be stealing some of John's kind of uh, um, popularity, if you will. And so they're envious of that. They're envious of the, the popularity of Jesus over John. And, and catch, catch this. Just notice how John responds. Very simple, just a few words. This is what John says to them. He says, you know what? Jesus must increase. Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. Jesus says to, or John says to his disciples, Jesus must be greater and I must become less. I must become less. Music team, go ahead and come on back. I, 
I don't know where you're at with respect to Jesus. To be honest, a room this big, people probably all over. I don't know the particulars of your life. I don't know how your break was, what's going on right now in your life. But what if tonight, what if starting right now, wherever you're at, what if John's words became your words? Jesus must increase, I must decrease. And what if those weren't just words, but actions? Not just words, but actions. See, what if tonight, what if this week, beginning of a new semester, beginning of a new year, what if, what if the rest of your life that was true of you? What if that was true of us? If we were a community of people known for, for living in a way that says, Jesus must become greater, we must become less. I wanna live for Jesus' kingdom, not my own. What if before that next social media post that you make, you say to yourself, Jesus must become greater. I must become less. Before the next conversation with that friend, that's kind of hard. Before you walk into class, before you walk into your job, in your relationship with your girlfriend or your boyfriend, before you go out at night, after you wake up in the morning, and everything in between, what if you said to yourself over and over and over, Jesus must increase, I must decrease? What sort of change might that make in your life? What sort of change might that make in the different pockets of campus that we're all a part of? See, what will people see when they look at our lives? So my hope, my prayer, is that when people look at us, who they see is Jesus. Because Jesus is the one that every single one of us needs. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Veritas Mizzou podcast. If you were encouraged by this message, please be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps other people find our content so that they can be encouraged too. Most importantly, to get connected to Veritas, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, Follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for listening.